From working with the clients that I've worked with in the last year, the thing that I've seen make the biggest impact is truly clearly defining a vision. So many people don't have the courage to think about something that doesn't currently exist. They just keep doing what they've always done and they hit roadblock after roadblock and they get frustrated and they feel like their wheels are spinning and they're spiraling and it always falls back to, do you know where you're going? Well, hey there, if we have not yet met, my name is Alex Judd. I'm the founder of Path for Growth, and this is the Path for Growth podcast. Now, as a business, we exist to help impact-driven leaders step into who they were created to be so that others benefit and God is glorified. And this podcast is just another iteration of how that mission comes to life. It was over two years ago that we started this business. And the way that we started was I put out an Instagram post and sent out an email uh, to a handful of people just saying I would be starting by doing one-on-one business and leadership coaching for a select number of people. And that if people were interested, that they could submit an application. And one of the people that submitted an application within those first few days was today's guest, Kelly Krieger. But here's what's wild. I worked with Kelly for over a year to grow her construction company, and we invested time in creating success statements and adding structure and introducing process. But it was out of that that she reached a period of transition in her life and with regard to her career, and it became possible to bring her on as a Path for Growth coach. And so she got trained up as our first ever additional one-on-one coach at Path for Growth. And since then, that was months ago now, she has just absolutely been crushing it. She works with so many customers with businesses of a wide variety of stages and industries and backgrounds from all around the country. And I will tell you, uh, I get messages on, it seems like a weekly basis now, like voice memos from people saying, oh my gosh, Uh, my call with Kelly today helped me grow so much as a leader, or we introduced success statements to today, or I've gained in my confidence today because of my work with Kelly. It's just so cool to see the way that our customers are doing the work to grow because they're collaborating with Kelly. And so one of the things that's really neat about our business is that one of our core values is alignment, which means that the message that we give is the way that we live. And so that means one of the things we hold our team members relentlessly accountable to is we're not just going to talk about healthy growth, we're going to practice healthy growth. And what's really neat about that is, I mean, I can just talk to any member of our team from Duke, who's our marketing intern that's also a college student, all the way up to all of our leadership team, and I can ask them questions about what they're learning, and it's like their answers are just mind-blowing. And so that's what I wanted to share with you today from Kelly's perspective. And man, we get into some great topics about time management and productivity, social media use, and how to leverage that powerful tool in a healthy way, success statements, and crafting intent and expectations for your team. There's so much gold in this, but before we jump into everything that she's learning right now as a coach, a leader, and a person, I really wanted to start with some rapid fire questions so you could get to know Kelly Krieger. Well, Kelly, uh, I'm so stoked about this. I'd love to jump in with five rapid fire questions just to make sure people get to know who you are and where you come from and what your background is and just a little bit about the Kelly Krieger that we all get to know at Path of Growth. Sound good? Yep, sounds good. Okay. 
So first one, you recently did a 14er, which is a mountain over 14,000 feet in Colorado, which most people don't do those in October. I don't know if you're aware of this because it gets kind of cold at 14,000 <laughs> feet in October. One, one word to describe your experience up Mount Bierstadt and why. Ooh, one word. You should have given me some like prep time on this one for one word. I would say, um, man, fun. Like, truly, it wasn't a race. It wasn't about beating anybody. We were just out there. It was freezing cold, and we all had the right attitude, and it was truly just so fun. And we got up to the top, and there were people up there. I know you know how it is. Like, when you're on the top of a mountain, it's like, We've got something in common with these crazy people that are A, climbing a, mount, a 14er, and B, doing it in the snow. Our toes were numb, and everyone had a smile on their face. And I was like, man, how cool is that, that we're all, we're having fun. <laughs> I love that it's a comforting realization to know I have something in common with these crazy people. <laughs> That's, yes. That is such yes. a good description of doing a 14er. <laughs> I love it. So cool. Okay. Uh, uh, one book that has impacted you in the last year and how has it impacted you? Mm, well, I'm going to say it's a book from the Bible. I would say Proverbs. I've read through it a few different times. As you know, I've been developing as a principle-based thinker and the way that that makes the most sense to me is reading through Proverbs because it's just like jam-packed full of truth-based principles. And uh, yeah, I've just gone through it multiple times. Then my daughter started joining me and I just love it. Dang. I mean, eventually we probably need to have your daughter Lily on this pod. What, she's like seven or eight now, right? Yeah, <laughs> like, she, yeah. I mean, she could probably teach a master class to all of us on this stuff. So <laughs> she, would, she would take your spot because she knows the intros to the podcast and she knows how to close them out too. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I better watch my back. She's got in yeah. for it. <laughs> okay. Uh, this one's probably going to be hard. Favorite path for growth memory? Oh so many. I would say recently I've been working with one of my clients and I've been working with her for almost a year now. And she's gone through a transition of selling some of her franchises and buying this whole franchise system and seeing her step into the leader that she was so created to be. And at first it just seemed like this impossible thing. And she is becoming that person, that woman, that leader and she's just so confident and graceful about it. It's like being on a call with her and seeing her just transform into a totally different person is like such a blessing to be a part of. Oh, man, that answer gives me chills. It, it's rare to get to, I always get chills on the, these podcast interviews. It's rare to have that happen in the first five minutes. That's such a good <laughs> answer. Okay, I'm going to deviate a little bit from five rapid fire questions, but I think this is really important to ask. One of the things that I'm so grateful for in the role that I get to play with our team is it's like I learn from our customers all the time. Like I'm always learning and it's like I get so inspired by just like you talked about. It's like, man, I, I saw who this person was a year ago and now I see the person, man, woman, leader, Christ follower they are today. And it's like night and day difference sometimes. And I'm just so inspired by the growth and transformation. And so it's why I think we get one of the best gigs in the world. Sure. I, I want to know 
from, from your experience watching, I, I feel like you're talking about Tracy, right? You're talking about Tracy yeah. right now. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know. Like, am I allowed to say her name? But of course. I, I don't know. Yeah. We'll have to ask her. So hopefully Tracy, yeah. I mean, and I mean, everything you say is like totally true. T- Tracy is, I mean, she's right. just so unbelievable. Her presence, whenever she shows up on the community calls that we do and all of that, and just the way that she's grown, like you said, in confidence and courage is just so cool. What is one thing that you have learned, Kelly, in your time working with Tracy over the course of the past year? Oh, man, I've learned truly going back to being a principle-based thinker and learner. She has gone through ups and downs, selling, buying um, businesses. And it seems, you know, it's just like buying a house. Like it's not done until it's done. And it's almost like every week or every month, it's a totally different narrative on what's happening. And it's like, you're constantly, it's thrown in your face, like different people's opinions, like this isn't possible, it can't be done. And then it's like the next day, it's, oh, this is so easy. And rather than riding the wave of emotions, I've learned from her to just truly point back to what is true. What is the principle in this? Where is God leading me? And just resting in that. And she just does it with such grace. And I would say a year ago, that was something she didn't know was possible. So being able to carry that over into my life is like, yeah, I learned from her after every single call. I'm like, man, I feel like I'm a better person. I'm a better person from being on the call with her. It's just, it's the coolest dynamic. Mm, Very cool. Very cool. Okay. If we 20 years from now read the Kelly Krieger biography um, or the Kelly Krieger memoir and we're at the point where we're talking about this season of your life and it's a chapter. What is the title of that chapter? Mm, great question. And I think you asked me this last year and I can't remember what my answer was. So it'd be so interesting to go back and hear what I said. I would say for this year, it would be intentionally focused. Just being so laser focused in on what matters most, where I'm at right here, right now. And taking everything that's outside of that and just clearing it so it's not a distraction and just stepping into just being so laser focused on what matters most. Oh man, we're going to get into some of that today, especially in the time management section that you talked about. So that'll be really good. Um, Man, good preview. Okay, final rapid fire question, which these are like, lots of people do rapid fire questions that are like, what's your favorite color? What's your favorite movie? (laughs) What's the chapter in your life? (laughs) (laughs) It's fun. Yeah, maybe we should retitle them from rapid fire to something else. Okay, what's something you do that people might consider weird? Well, I know people think it's weird because I get feedback from it and I still do it. So I hope my friends are listening to this. So I love hosting dinners at my house and it's a family tradition. And my, I, I believe it's at least been three generations where we have a special plate and it's this red plate that we give it to someone that just did something special in the last week or month or whatever and we make everybody at the table, whether you're in our family, you're a friend, you're a guest, you, you're you part of the table. So you're part, part of eating the meal is participating in the special plate activity. So we go around and we say something specific that's special about them and something that you're proud of them for doing recently. And it doesn't have to be the same topic. And we go around the whole table and we focus on that one person at dinner. And I'm telling you, people, when I invite them over for dinner... They sometimes hesitate and ask, like, 
are you going to give me the special plate? <laughs> like, I don't know, maybe. <laughs> Do you want a meal or not? <laughs> I love that. Oh, okay. And you said that tradition started three years ago? No, or three, three generations. generations. Oh, yeah. So my, my grandparents did it. My mom did it with us growing up. And then when I had kids and got married, it was the gift from my mom was now you get a red special plate. So everybody in my family has a special plate and it's just, it's normal for our family at any given time. It doesn't have to be a holiday or anything significant. It could just be a Tuesday night and we pull out the special plate. Oh, I love that. So cool. Um, what a great tradition. Very good. Okay. Well, the way that I really thought it would be good and helpful and valuable to structure this conversation today uh, was really through the lens of one of our core values. Many people probably know that we have five core values at Path for Growth, point to Jesus, alignment, freedom and responsibility, treat people like friends, and strength is for service. And what we're really focusing on today is that second core value of alignment. And the phrase that we always talk about with regard to alignment is that the message we give is the way that we live. And what is kind of one of the honestly unintended consequences that I thought of, <laughs> that I, we've experienced as a result of that is like, man, I mean, goodness gracious, we just have such a growth oriented team, right? Like everyone uh, out of the nine people that we have in the business right now, just everyone loves the topic of growth is always learning and is always growing and is always moving forward and is always reflecting and examining what they've done and how they can get better. And not only that, everyone's trying to do it in a healthy way, which is so cool. And so in some ways, I feel like the conversations that I have with our team members for this podcast are the easiest ones to record because basically all I have to say is what are some things you're learning right now and everyone always has answers and what are the ways that you're right. growing right now and everyone always has answers and so I sent Kelly a text message literally probably a couple hours ago and I said hey I know we got a podcast coming up I want to go through five things you've learned over the course of the past year and just dig into those and and I know because I've heard you talk about most of these things there's some there's some gold in here that is really practical and valuable for the people that are listening. So, so let's go ahead and jump into them. The, the first one or the first theme that you kind of focused on is something that you've learned a lot about in the past year was principle-based thinking and principle-based communication. So can you give us a little bit of the background into how you kind of got into this as an area of growth and then we'll go from there? Yeah, I, I'd like to start by saying first your question was, what's something you have learned? And I'm going to I'm going to say, I am not an expert on this. I'm still currently learning this. And so I'll preface it by saying I'm still learning this. And I don't think I've ever, I have not arrived in this department. So I don't want to come off as an expert. But in the last year, coming into Path for Growth and being trained as a coach, that was one of the fundamentals or one of the areas of a great coach. And it totally just was a blocker for me. It was like in each area, I was like, yeah, I'm doing this, I'm doing this, I'm doing this. And then it was like, then did you find the principle? I'm like, no, I don't even know what you're talking about. And it was such a, a shock to me. I'm like, there, this is this thing that I've never really even heard of. I have no clue what this means. So I knew in order for me to develop, I had to be super intentional and focus, not only how to think and communicate, but before you even do that, you have to truly understand what a principle is. So I really broke it down and spent time studying like what what is a principle what's the difference between a principle and a law and a rule and broke all that down and I just got so fascinated with it and spent some time interviewing quite a few pastors my local pastor in my church 
people in my family just kind of like geeked out on what a principle was. And then once I had that foundation of like, okay, I think I have my head wrapped around what it is. Now it's a little bit easier for me to start thinking in that capacity. And then once I built that foundation, it's like, okay, now let's start integrating this into how I communicate and then teaching people how to think principally in my coaching calls. Yeah. I'll I'll never forget. I think it was Olivia, who's our coaching manager. She mentioned to me, she was like, oh yeah, Kelly's 90-day growth plan is on principle-based thinking and principle-based coaching. And I was like, oh, that's cool. And then it was like the same week, Zach mentioned to me like, Kelly is like getting really into it. Like, like just, just so you know, like she's like, she's going hardcore on this. I was like, okay, that's cool. And I was like, oh, that's awesome. She's excited about it. And then you and I had a meeting and that's when my eyes were open to like, oh, she's going deep. Like she's really getting into this. Um, and so you said you spent some time studying it. Run through again, like that, that period of like trying to understand and wrap your head around this. Like what... What was that? Like that, that period of studying, what did you do in that time? Who did you talk to? How did, how did you start to understand? Because this is something that when we talk to a lot of the leaders in our community, when we first engage with them, it's a concept that's foreign to them. But I truly believe that it's, it's one of the kingpin skills that if you can figure out this skill, it makes every other skill way easier, especially in leadership. And so yeah. I would really like for us to kind of open up your process because you've gotten exponentially better at this. You've grown in this area. So I want us to know how you did that. Yeah, I think at first it just kind of seemed like, are these just like one-liners? Like, are they just quotes that anybody can say? And I'm like, I don't want, I don't want to do that. I don't want to be this cliche person that just comes up with a one-liner and then, you know, six months from now, I say a different one-liner and they contradict each other. And so like, what, what does that mean? And so really a principle to me is like, it's a concisely stated sen- sentence or a statement that is rooted in what is true. And so going back to what is true, and that opens up a whole nother can of worms. You know, some people say, well, what is my truth is could be your truth, or maybe we have different truths. And it's like, that's where you start to really contradict yourself by giving a principle that it is truth-based if it's not actually rooted in what is true. So that's why I pointed back to Proverbs, because for me, that is truth. God pr- reveals truth. And then we are, you, you've heard uh, my pastor say this, we are at second best, the second creator of what is true. We don't define what is true. God reveals what is true. And so I pointed back to scripture to really find like, what are the first principles that are revealed to us through scripture in the Bible? Then out of that, being able to relay that into maybe, maybe a more like palpable, easy statement for people to understand. But as long as it's in alignment with uh, scripture and what is true, I felt better about it, about that being an accurate statement of truth rather than contradicting myself over time. Yeah, that's really helpful. So there's a couple things in here that are probably worth unpacking. We define a principle of path for growth as a concisely worded statement of truth that transcends circumstance. And I, I think what's helpful about the way you just talked about it too, in terms of what you learned, is that there is a distinction, and this is really important for people to understand, there's a distinction between the truth and what's true. Something can be true. It can be true that I perceive that Kelly is 
an angry, selfish, overly ambitious leader. It can be true that I perceive that, but just because it's true that I perceive that doesn't mean that that is the truth. And it's really, really important for us as leaders to root our most fundamental and primary beliefs in what is truth. I'm going to interrupt you because it's such a great point. You said you perceive what is true, which truly is just an opinion. That, that's right. Yes. And, 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 and it's what's true about my opinion, but it's not the truth. And, and right. you know, I, I think it like this can be really confusing for people and therefore people shy away from it. And they say, that's just philosophical, psychological mumbo jumbo. Let's get to work. And what I will <laughs> tell you is like, if you don't actually wrap your head around, what do I believe is the source of the truth? And then how are my actions and words either aligning with that or deviating from that? That is going to have ramifications in the way you do your work. And the mm. thing that's so cool about principles that are actually rooted not in just what's true, but in the truth, if you can root them in the truth, well, what did we say in the principle-based coaching podcast episode? Principles massively simplify the complexity of life. They scale because they can be taught to other people and then they help separate the emotions from the truth. Because a lot of times the thing that gets in the way of me experiencing and living in the truth is my quote unquote feelings. The good thing about right. principles is they don't really care about my feelings. Yeah, and principles don't change, opinions do. Oh, so if well you're communicating said. your your opinions, that's where you start to contradict yourself from month to month and then it's like, what does your word mean? But when you're communicating principles, that's that's not going to change. It's not a fad. Mm -hmm. Okay, so so the other thing that you said in there, and this was a line that I think you got from one of the pastors that you talked to, was that mm -hmm. at best we are secondary creators. And man, that was when you said that to me a couple months ago. I, I literally was so grateful because I was like, man, I am now learning from my team members who are learning from other people. This is just so cool, right? And, and mm -hmm. that's, that is such a helpful idea to understand because what I found is that idea that your pastor posed, we are at best secondary creators. Number one, I think it's biblical. But then number two, it relieves me of the pressure of originality. Right. And have you experienced that too? Because I think sometimes when people get into this idea of principle-based thinking, we think, oh, I've got to be a creative original that is setting out to say something that's never been said before. Mm -hmm. I think that's wrong. So true. Yeah. Amen. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay. So from there, like you, you started to get your head wrapped around what they are. And so to give mm -hmm. people some examples of principles, and you can go listen to the podcast episodes we've done on this topic. We'll put them in a link uh, in the show notes of this episode. But, uh, and I'd love to know some that you've kind of highlighted or you kind of find yourself referring to a lot as well. But some that I refer to consistently are health and growth are not the same thing. Exposure to truth guards against insanity. You mm -hmm. will never fix what you refuse to see. Right. These are all principles. They're concisely worded statements of truth that transcend circumstance. And so those are things that I genuinely believe. Now, I could be wrong. And that's part of being a humble human being. As you say, I could be wrong, but I don't think I am. 
I, I just don't think I'm wrong when I say you will never fix what you refuse to see because I think there's biblical evidence for that. I think there's experiential evidence for that. I think there's historical evidence for that. I think there's psychological evidence for that. There's experiential evidence for that. Like there's so much evidence that I just don't think I'm wrong. And so I'm just going to say what's true. And so those are some examples of principles that you can leverage in the complexity of leading in an ever-changing environment. Do, do you have any that you find yourself referring to consistently with your customers, Kelly? Yeah, I have a couple. Another thing I wanted to add that came out of our conversation that you and I had after I met with my pastor was just how to actually present the principles without sounding arrogant or overly confident, but being humble and grounded, but still speaking assertively. And so I think the the term that we came up with was presenting a truth-based principle with humble assertiveness, where it's like, I have ground to stand on. I'm confident in what I'm saying. But since I'm at best the second creator, this is rooted in what is true. It's not my opinion. And I'm confident that this is true. But I'm not saying that I came up with it or this is that my idea is better than your idea because this isn't truly my idea. This is, I'm presenting to you with confidence, with humble confidence that this is, that this is true. But now to answer your question, a few that always point back. I, I, it's funny. I was just telling Kyle this today. We were talking about principles as he was going into office hours. One that almost always comes up is I am responsible to someone, but not for someone. And just pointing back like, that's just true. I can help someone. I can guide them along. I can coach them. But ultimately, I'm not responsible for their actions or what they do out of the call. Um, and that gives me a lot of freedom and grace knowing that like, I can give my all, but I'm not responsible for them. That's right. And that that is okay. So let's pause on that one real quick because that's such a great example of a principle that helps separate the emotions from the truth. Because right. I've, I've seen you literally assertively say that principle to someone on office hours within our membership community before. And that is such a helpful thing to hear because in general, most people agree that is true. I can be responsible to people. I can't be responsible for people. But what we feel oftentimes is oh, I've got to do all the work for this person that's underperforming and I need to make sure I start doing the work for them and I haven't done enough to provide them with the cultural values or things like that. And it's like, at the end of the day, yes, you need to provide clear expectations on the values, responsibilities, the skills they need to have. You need to provide those things to them, but they are responsible for using those things to do the job. And the principle it's almost like you see, have you noticed this? You see like a light bulb go off in someone's head when they hear the truth and they're like, oh, that's right. What I'm feeling right now, those may be true. Those feelings are true, but they're not in alignment with the truth. Right. That's right. Man, that principle just carries over so much. The, the cool thing about principles is, yeah, we're in the business space and we're working with leaders, developing them for for the, for being a business leader. But I'm also a mom of three kids, two boys in middle school. And I'm telling you that principle. <laughs> was that like, a prayer request? Is that what that was just now? <laughs> yeah, a hundred percent. I'll accept all prayers, but no, I mean, having two boys in middle school is a challenge. You know, I'm, I'm developing these men to be responsible human beings. And I want, I want so badly to just 
like my feeling or my emotion is coddle them, take care of them, protect them. I'm like, no, I'm not responsible for that. Like I can teach them this. These are the expectations. This is what I, I hope is true for you. And, but at the end of the day, they're going to go and make mistakes and they're going to go fail. And I am not responsible for their actions. I'm not responsible for their grades. Uh, you know, there's just so many parallels in that, in, any principle that goes from business to personal life, to your leadership, to, to everything. That's right. And I mean, I, I'm not a parent, so I, I never want to give any parenting advice, but it's like the difference between responsible to and responsible for, it seems like is responsible for is the parent that takes an extra trip to the school in the middle of the day because their kid forgot their homework and they're going to come and save the day for their child. And That's right. Peyton and Charlie, are you listening? Yeah. And it's like that, that, that may be nice, but I don't know that's actually kind because that's not actually operating in someone's best interest. That's right. What are you responsible to? Well, you're probably responsible to create an environment in which they, they should know that they should get their homework done the evening before and they yeah. have a habit and rhythm for putting it in their backpack or whatever. Charlie, that's I'm right. talking to you right now, right? But it's like <laughs> beyond that, it's like you actually start harming the person instead of helping them the minute you start uh, – hoarding or stealing responsibility from them. Let's jump into maybe one or two more principles that you've really learned as you've kind of dove into this topic, Kelly. Yeah, this is another one. So I loved a garden. So I've been just learning so many gardening principles that again, tr they transfer into every area of life. And it's so basic, but that's what I love about principles. But you reap what you sow. Like whatever you put into the ground, if you tend to it, if you water it, if you care for it, if you feed it, if you prune it, you're, you're going to reap with what you sow. And then the opposite, if you just plant something and neglect it, you're not going to get much out of it. And that's just huge. And again, I'm not a gardening expert. I've learned that because there are plants in my backyard that are thriving. And then there are a lot of plants that are dead. <laughs> it's like, oh, there you go. That that's how that principle plays out. Sometimes things die because you don't take care of it or you go on vacation and you forget to have someone water your garden. It's like, yeah, you can't do that. You have to like you have to maintain things and so yeah, you reap what you sow. Mm. I I mean, that's a great example too of like that is literally from the Bible. Like that is from the right. book of Proverbs and and it's such a good example of Oftentimes, the best wisdom is not going to come from you as the original creator, right? It's going to come from mm -hmm. the original creator. And, and so referring to that, but then the other thing that's really helpful to pay attention to here is just, uh, it's another principle, language creates culture. And, mm -hmm. and you could say this in Kelly's house, you could see this being a reality where if Kelly refers to you reap what you sow every time she sees that principle playing out, you better believe her teenage boys are going to be able to pick up on that principle. And you might mm. even hear them saying it later on, right? right. And, and in so many ways, we're calling it principle-based teaching and principle-based coaching. In so many ways, it's what every great grandfather has done for centuries, right? Mm -hmm. They just have these, these phrases that just poignantly state the truth in a really applicable and relevant way. And man, if you can give someone the right principle for the situation they're in, you serve them in that way. 
And that's what I yeah. think we're, we're, I mean, like you said, it's, it's never done. It's never figured it out, but we're learning to do. Okay, let's do one more. Oh, let's see. I think it's one that you say quite a bit, so I'm stealing it from you, but I'm going to modify a little bit because I think I say it differently than you. But the way I say it is unclear expectations lead to resentment. Like if you, if you're not clarifying what the expectation is, you might have it in your mind, but you're not clearly communicating the expectations. It leads to resentment. And we see this play out in businesses all the time from top to bottom. It also carries out in my house, which I know this isn't the time to segue, but that goes into success statements and creating standards for what winning looks like. And we've plowed through that in my home. Like, okay, I have this idea in my mind that when you go out and mow the yard, it's going to look like this. And I tell them to go do it. And they come back in. I'm like, they did a horrible job. They did nothing right. And it's like, to be fair, did I ever clearly communicate what the expectations were for what a job well done looks like in the yard? Or do I just expect them to do it the way that I've always done it? And so going back to the principle, unclear expectations lead to resentment. Mm. Okay. I, I, I hope that this is a statement of truth right now. I do not experience you as a resentful person, which is good. <laughs> um, you're not experiencing resentment right now as a team member of Path for Growth, correct? No, no, no. Okay. I mean, I think everybody, everybody at some point experiences that feeling, but I don't think it controls me and I don't, it's not overcoming Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So can you speak to how expectations are provided to you from your leader being Olivia within Path for Growth in such a way that you are set up to thrive and win as a team member within this organization, Kelly? Sure. Yeah. I mean, we have success statements for our role and then within within projects, we have success statements. So what it looks like to be a, an effective coach. We have three to five statements that if you're doing these three areas well, then you're winning in your role. And then within that, you can be creative with how you go about doing it. Um, another specific example is office hours, which we're training Kyle right now. So it's so cool to be able to see that. I know like when we when I first started, we hadn't defined those yet. So being able to see the difference between starting training and it's like, um, I don't know, just like, let's just go do it. Let's just try office hours. And now that we have success statements, seeing Kyle step into that, it's like, man, how cool is it that we have clearly defined what winning looks like for running office hours. And then within that, people can have their own personality and have their own voice, present their own principles or lead within the framework. But, but yeah, having clearly defined expectations for what winning looks like is, it's a game changer. Mm-hmm. And then you meet with Olivia on a is it a weekly basis and review yeah. those success statements? Is that right? Right. Yeah. Yep. We read yellow green each of them. Can you talk about what that process does for you? Like just the weekly accountability of red, yellow, green. Like what does that do for you as a team member? I think there are times if you don't do that, there's a little bit of ambiguity. Like, am I winning in my role? Am I doing a good job? Am I not doing enough? I think I usually fall on the line of, I love working hard. And sometimes I work too hard. And then I still feel like maybe I'm failing. Like maybe I'm not doing enough or maybe I'm, I'm not hitting the mark and I'm, I'm really hard on myself. And so there are times where we go through the success statements and I'll be like, oh, I'm probably yellow. And she'll ask like, okay, well, why, why are you yellow? 
I'm like, well, maybe I'm not doing this, this, and this. And then she'll point me back to the success statement. It's like, well, are you doing this? And then then I read it. I'm like, well, yeah, I am doing that. It's like, okay, Mm -hmm. so then do you think you're red, yellow, or green? I'm like, oh, well, like, I guess I am green in that area. So it gives me a little more grace to know like, okay, this is the standard. This is what winning looks like. And I can continue to grow and amplify in that area. But I know what I know what the expectation is. Pat Lencioni describes three signs of a miserable job. He says it's immeasurement. So I don't know what winning looks like. And even if I did, I don't know if I am winning or not. Right. Irrelevance. I don't know how what I'm doing every single day connects to a bigger picture. And anonymity. People don't know what I'm doing with my time. And even if they do know, they certainly don't care about it. And Mm -hmm. what we found is we found this in our business and in every single business that has implemented this that we work with is if you can implement two things, well-crafted, intentionally defined success statements that define three to five statements that answer the question, what does winning look like in your role? If you can have those paired with an ongoing, consistent cadence of one-on-one meetings where a leader just has them red, yellow, green, I think you immediately dilute, if not eliminate, every single mm-hmm. one of those three enemies, measurement, irrelevance, and anonymity. And yeah. I mean, you know, we talk about how we do it in our business a fair amount on this podcast. What's so cool, I mean, you work with Drew Lancaster. I mean, his his yeah. business, I mean, they did an overhaul job and, and it's not just him that's done it, it's the team as a whole that has I done know. it. Uh, in the construction industry, which that's the one industry that everyone crossed their arms and says, oh, you can't do this in the construction industry. It's like, shut up and go talk to Drew Lancaster, right? Like that guy I did know. it, right? It's um, so true. I mean, is there anything that you learned or saw from Drew's process of rolling this out into his organization that you think would help or assist or inspire the people that are listening? Yeah, for sure. Drew's such an amazing leader. Well, as you know, before I did this, I did run a construction company. So I can understand there's this blocker in your mind when you're working in that industry where you think like, no, we don't do this because that's not, that's not normal in this field of work. And it's like, man, again, that's a lie. That's, that's just an opinion that's not rooted in what's true because that is the reason why people are frustrated in their job. They don't know if they're winning. They don't, you know, you can say, we don't have time to add in a one hour a week meeting to check in on this, but it's like, man, you also can't afford not to because then six months down the road when people are frustrated and they're quitting, it can all be avoided by implementing these one-on-ones where you're consistently meeting with them. But specifically about Drew, we started with his success statement and just working with him and I meeting on a monthly basis, holding him accountable to his success statements. And as we did this, he's thinking, he's a visionary. He does not like writing the success statements. He knew that about him. And he was like, I am so bought in. I see the need for this. I just don't want to do it. We're like, great, great self-awareness. Let's put together a plan where your whole team can have these, but you don't have to be the one to write them. Okay. Time out real quick. Number one, uh, I, that was uh, great coaching on your part there because there's a, there's a lot of there's a lot of people in the coaching industry right which I probably if people listen to this podcast they know how I feel about the coaching industry it's a bunch of right. people wearing pajamas at home and telling people what to do I just drives me freaking crazy right but there's right. a bunch of coaches that would say well suck it up and do it right and in reality I mean my best moments 
as a leader often came from the awareness of my inadequacies and my incompetencies that I then delegated. Right. And, and it's actually a reflection of humility to say, I'm not good at this and I will not, I will not have the self-discipline to make time for this. And therefore we need to find someone that can help us do this. Then it is to pretend like you're going to do it. So you impress everyone, but then you don't actually do it or do it well. And so mm. credit to Drew, because I think it's really an example of what you talked about before with humble confidence to just say mm-hmm. like, this is not my sweet spot and I see right. the need for it, but I'm not going to be the one to make it happen. Okay. So what did he do next? Because now, I mean, the team has success statements. So how did they get there? Yeah. Not only the team has success statements, they wrote over 29 sets of success statements in under three months. And that's a lot of work. Like yeah. it, that is no joke. So essentially he went from nobody actually knows what they're responsible for. And there were times where I was working with him where he was frustrated that people weren't doing what they're supposed to be doing. And it came down to the root where he, he landed on, I guess I haven't really communicated to them what they're responsible for. It goes back to the mowing example. They just truly didn't even know. He's like, I've told him, I've told him, I've told him, but it's not consistently communicated on a regular basis and documented and documented. Yeah. So what, what we did, the first step of the plan was, well, actually you recorded a workshop or you had a workshop where we went through and trained leaders how to write success statements with the tool, um, the, the principles in what success statements are walking them through how to write them and then walking away with a tool where the success statements are in there and they're able to use that to implement in their one-on-one start holding them accountable for, for what matters most in their role. With that tool, that video, we started with Drew and his leadership team. So it was a group of their top leaders in their organization. He got them all in one room for a two-hour block of time. They printed off the PDF ahead of time. They watched it and their goal was by the end of this meeting, we're going to walk away with everyone in this room has, you're going to write your own success statement, and then we're going to share them together and check for any overlaps and holes to see, are you doing the same thing as me? Is there anything that needs to be done that no one is covering? And by the end of that meeting, they had that wrapped up. Then they rolled that out within their leadership team and started implementing them into their one-on-ones for about a month so they could practice. This is what a one-on-one looks like. This is how we hold each other accountable. And in that something I admire so deeply about Drew was he had the mindset of it doesn't have to be perfect to start implementing them. And I think that's the blocker a lot of people have in thinking like, well, I can't really start using these in one-on-ones yet because I don't know if the success statements are right or not. And so he really adopted the mindset that it doesn't have to be perfect. This is the process of developing the success statements. So at the end of each one-on-one, we built in a question at the end of the one-on-one and it basically asked, do you agree that these success statements accurately represent what winning looks like for the role? Is there anything else that you're doing that does matter for your role that is not captured in these success statements? Do we need to modify, add, change? And so just knowing that at the end of each one-on-one, they they had the ability to provide that feedback allowed them within a month for them to feel like, okay, now let's regroup. Let's compare all the success statements again. Do we feel good? Okay. Now each of you on the leadership team, now you're going to do that same thing with your team. 
So the he's got a roofing company. He's got a general contracting business. He has um, a group of developers. So each of each of those leaders met with their team and did the same thing. Watched the video, had their team write the success statements, implemented them into one-on-ones, constantly evaluated, and they're still evaluating them on a regular basis. So yeah, within a couple months, it was like, oh my gosh, we all have these. And truly, Drew didn't write any of them. That I mean, that's just unreal. And they're correct. And, and in the process of doing that, they're diluting, if not exterminating, a measurement, irrelevance, and anonymity from their business. Right. And people can say like, okay, well, that's that, that level of organization is not normal for my industry. Since when right. on earth did you ever want normal for your industry? That's right. Like you're, yeah. you're correct. Normal is a measurement, irrelevance, and anonymity, right? And like yeah. normal, uh, as Dave Ramsey would say, normal freaking sucks. So let's go do yeah. something different, right? Okay. But but here here is one of the blockers, I think, is I think we can be simultaneously inspired by Drew's example we can also be intimidated by Drew's example. Be like, oh my gosh, it just seems like so much work. Like, that's insane. What would your uh, counsel be to that person? I think acknowledging that it is work is necessary in the process. I, I don't think it's worth being intimidated by it, but recognizing that it is work and that you do have to dedicate time to work on the business and that you can't just be focused working in the business. So Drew can't be out on the job site swinging a hammer all day long and expect for his business to be in a healthier place a year from now if he's not doing anything different. So it was worth him dedicating time to truly focus on that. And that's what made it a difference. At first, Drew's just, I admire him deeply. At first, when working with him, I think he was in a place where he truly wanted things to be done really fast. And something that he's developed over time is recognizing that I see the need for this, I'm working on it, and there's no way this is going to be done in one month. This might take a couple of months. And once he accepted that, it was like, okay, and so until all of these success statements are done, I'm going to be continually disappointed by people's performance because I haven't clearly communicated the expectations. So until they are communicated, expect that I'm going to be disappointed up until that point. And then once I've clearly standardized, documented it, and then we're rolling it out to the team, now I can start holding them accountable to that. And we can start taking action, either holding them accountable or or praising them for doing a job well done. They may be crushing it in their role and you and you're, you, sometimes we have higher expectations that are even like practical. It's like, man, that's outside of their role. But that clarity doesn't come until you document and standardize the expectations. That's right. So well said. I, because you brought up the idea of working in the business versus on the business too. Here's something I've been thinking about lately. Working in the business is paying rent. Working on the business is paying off a mortgage right? Mm -hmm. One of those is going to be an investment that you get to look up a year from now and say, okay, because of that investment, there's something that I can now point to that we have ownership of, that we are now stewarding, right? Whereas rent, I mean, we all know what rent is, right? It's it's spending mm-hmm. money, not investing money. Now, some of us are in a spot right now where, where we've, got to, we've got to spend our time, right? And, mm-hmm. and that's fine, but don't expect to spend your way into being able to invest, 
You, right. you get to a spot of being an investor of your time by investing your time the little that you have. And that kind of honestly brings us into to one of the next topics you wrote down, which was time management. I know the way that you've kind of come at this topic, Kelly, is through the lens of an exercise that sounds like you found very helpful, which is the ideal calendar. So can you give us a little bit about why you wrote down time management as one of the things that you learned a lot about over the course of the past year? Yeah. And I don't even know that time management is really the right word. It's almost like stewarding your time where it matters most. And, and so therefore our society calls it time management. So that that's the more, uh, that's the easier way to, to translate it. But, but yeah, I mean, in our job at Path for Growth, we have so much freedom. We have so much freedom that it would be so easy to just like fly by the seat of your pants and you could just wing it a hundred percent of the time. But it's like, man, that is chaotic. And that is not healthy for me. It's not healthy for my family. It's not predictable. I it's, I've really learned the need to have some consistent rhythms and also to just steward your time where it truly matters most and to create a schedule or a boundary within your life. That's reflecting what you actually say matters most. So what I truly did was I went through, I have my success statements for my job, for being a coach. And I went through and blocked those off onto the calendar. Like what would be the ideal time to have coaching calls? What would be the ideal time to do my one-on-ones to, to all of the things I put those on my calendar. I have kids. So I went through and prioritized what would, what is ideal for my calendar for me to be the best mom that I can be with my kids' schedule and also for me as an individual. So I I want to be in the Word every day. So when would be the ideal time for me to be reading the Bible? When do I want to work out? What time do I want to go to sleep? What time do I want to go to bed? So just overall, holistically looking at my calendar and defining what does winning look like for my calendar? How does it line up with my personal mission statement, my personal core values, my success statements for my role? my kids' schedule, and then making this ideal calendar. And turns out, once I did that, I went from nine clients in one month to like 16 clients in like two months. And I was like, wow, I don't know if that's actually possible the way that my calendar is laid out right now. And and Danielle, she works with my calendar with me. We were looking at it and we're like, I don't think you can take on any more clients. I'm like, this is ridiculous. How is that possible? And I went through and reshifted things around and made an ideal calendar. And I was like, I could definitely do that. Like, it's just a matter of how I'm managing my time. That's ridiculous. And so that was like the springboard into creating an ideal calendar. But then from that, I just like ran with it where I'm like, man, there's so much more to it. It's like, I want to be I want people to be into my home, to come into my home for dinner. I want to be active. I want to be outside and doing adventures. And it was like, okay, let's take it. Start with the end in mind. That's another principle that I refer to all the time. Start with the end of mind. Like, what do I want to be true about my lifestyle six months from now and build backwards on the ideal calendar and then have the discipline to follow through and stick with it. Oh, so good. There's something that I've observed in myself and in the leaders that we work with that's directly related to this. And that's just the idea that often we 
over-index our focus on time management and we under-index our focus on time leadership is what I would say. Mm -hmm. And, And because what is time management? It's really a question about productivity. How do I do what I'm doing faster and better? which is a fair question to ask, good question to ask, Mm. unless the things you are doing are wrong. Like what if you're doing the wrong things and then you getting faster and better at doing the wrong things will never make you right. And that's what we see is it's like, okay, like we see a lot of people getting really fast and, and this is coming from like podcasts they're listening to and people that they're watching them that are teaching them how to be productive. And it's like, okay, but you're producing all the wrong results, right? Especially as a CEO or owner of a business. And so what do you first have to do? Well, it's exactly what you said, time leadership. What do leaders do? They say, what matters most for the season I'm in? What are the priorities? And, and you mentioned your role at work, right? Yeah, that really matters. And then you know what matters within your role at work and what, what the big focuses are in this season. And then you said, okay, my kids and, and what specifically are the priorities for my relationship with my kids right now and things associated with that. And, and I know working out is a priority of yours. That's something that really matters. And so defining what these priorities are and then out of that saying, okay, where does that fit onto our calendar? And within those slots, how do we become productive? But so right. many people are coming at it backwards and they're saying, how do I become productive at the things I'm doing? You should first ask the question, what should I actually be doing to maximize my results? Yeah. And also it, it provides clarity on what you should say no to. So I get like, I play volleyball. I get asked to play in volleyball tournaments all the time with my friends. And it's so easy now for me to look at my calendar and to look at what I want to be true about my calendar and be able to say yes or no without, without having this overwhelming feeling of being a people pleaser. It's like, oh, I have confidence and clarity on what fits into my calendar and what doesn't now. Man, I think that actually connects to something you said the other day. Sorry, we're, we're just getting no, so no excited way. about this. You <laughs> said it the other day in the meeting that we had. It was, such a, it was such a wise statement and it was a principle. You said peace occurs when your calendar reflects your values and priorities. And it mm-hmm. sounds to me like your experience with volleyball in that regard is instead of feeling guilt or indecision or paranoia that you're not doing enough, you have peace about what you can say yes to and what you can say no to because you know where your time is being dedicated to. That's right. Yeah. With that said, sometimes it goes in the opposite. I think in our culture now, people at my age with kids, oftentimes people think, you shouldn't be playing volleyball anymore. Like, why are you doing that? You're not a college athlete anymore. You're not training for the Olympics. Like, why, why are you playing? And I know based on what I want to be true about my calendar, based on my values, my mission, who I want to become as a person, that I need to be social and be active with my friends once a week. That's important to me. I work from home. I have kids at home with me all day long. It's important to me for me to stay healthy, to be active, doing something that I love with the people that I enjoy being with. And so if someone says, are you, why do you still play volleyball? I don't feel like I, well, let me say this. I'm just confident that that's what's best for me. And so I know that, yeah, that's what I'm going to do, but I I don't need to play four nights a week because that's a little out of whack. But for me, once a week, like Wednesday night, it's perfect for my season right now where I'm at. Is there a so that associated with that? Like I play volleyball once a week, so that blank. 
I think so that it fills my, I'm an extrovert. I like being around people and I like moving. So if I, if I'm playing volleyball and I'm around friends and I'm active, then I am a better leader. I'm a better mom. I'm a better business coach. I'm a better individual because it's filling some of my needs. That's right. I think of, because we haven't quoted Jordan Peterson yet in this podcast episode, we might as well do it now, right? It's treating yourself as someone you're responsible for helping. And man, I I, I have so much sympathy. I can't say empathy here. I have so much sympathy for moms because I think uh, oftentimes they are the ones that are most challenged by this because there's so many people that are looking to them that need something from them. And the question that I would have for those people, this is the question that I ask in team trainings is, would you ever look at someone else and say, you're doing something that's good for you, that makes you healthy, and that's selfish? You would never look at that person and say that, ever. And so why on earth right. do you allow yourself to talk to yourself that way? It's, it's not helpful for you. It's also not helpful for all the people, your kids, your team, your business, right, that's, that's looking to you. And so as Jordan Peterson would say, uh, you know, maybe sometimes you got to just, uh, you know, treat yourself as someone you're responsible for helping. <laughs> <laughs> that was great. <laughs> well, I don't know about yeah, great. That's... That might be, We'll see. If it's not great, we'll edit it out, but we'll see. <laughs> it was something. <laughs> it was something. <laughs> oh, goodness. <laughs> <laughs> this is great. Uh, before we shift out of this topic, oh, yes. one thing that I've learned about my calendar that has been probably my biggest takeaway was at first, I think in my past, I've always tried to increase productivity. Like how productive can I be? How much money can I make? How much can I squeeze into my day? And probably my biggest takeaway in the last year with my calendar has been to simplify the things that I do, be really good at what I'm doing when I'm doing it, like non-distracted, deep work time. So I'm totally focused, getting done maybe three times as much as I normally would if I had my phone on me or something distracting me. But the biggest thing is creating space for like reflection and being able to like just creating margin in between meetings. So like I could have coaching call after coaching call after coaching call. And it's like, whoa, that's too, too much, too fast, too. And then I'm not my best. I'm not my best self. I'm not serving people. And I'm not able to allow like, what if the conversation goes five minutes over? I want to be able to have that conversation with them if that's something that they need in that moment. So allowing at least like 30 minutes for me is what I need to decompress after a call to really evaluate like, man, what were my takeaways from there? What were some principles that I learned? What do I need to do to help serve that person out of that call to be a better coach for them moving forward? And not just coaching calls, it's for everything. Like after going to church, after putting the kids to bed, after pretty much everything, rather than rushing from item to item, like literally building in in my ideal calendar, 15 to 30 minutes where it's like, just create space for margin where it's like this time is just for reflection. That's right. Here's something that I've got to focus on with regard to that. Just because I create margin doesn't mean I experience it. And what I've found, I I learned the same thing that you just said very early on was I cannot, back to back, I suck, right? If I just 
put everything back to back because I'm, I'm such a relational person that so often I'll lose track of the conversation and, and take it five different directions. And then we're going 20 minutes over and, th- and it's just not good. Then I end up late to everything for the rest of the day. It's not helpful. Mm-hmm. So, so now I do try to stick to an end deadline, right? I do my best to do that, but sometimes it just doesn't. Sometimes the best way to love people is to abandon a deadline, by the way. But what I found is that sometimes I would get off a call or get out of a meeting or get out of a conversation with someone or get out of working with something. Uh, I will have scheduled margin or my assistant, Michelle, would have had 30 minutes in between that thing and the next thing. But the first thing I would do is I would hop on my phone and I would jump on social media or I would start texting people back Mm. or I would maybe, maybe check the news or something like that. And then I'd look up and suddenly 29 minutes had passed and I, I really just felt just as frazzled going into the next thing right. as I would have if it was back to back because I didn't experience the margin that had been created for me. And, and right. so now what I do is I will literally finish something like what we're doing right now. The minute we say bye, I will close the computer and go outside for like a five minute walk without my phone. And what's yeah. crazy is, man, I get so much more value out of the margin I have but it takes a lot of discipline and willpower to do that. I'm not perfect right. at it, but it does take discipline and willpower. Yeah. Being really intentional about what do you actually mean by margin? Yeah. And what it doesn't have to be a five-minute walk. Like that's not the prescription. It's the principle that you want to actually experience margin during that time. Yeah, which what does good margin do? It leaves you restored, revitalized, re-energized, looking up again, recentered. And, and right. has social media ever done those things to anyone? <laughs> no, the, spoiler no. alert, no. <laughs> right. <Yeah. laughs> right. And, and so right. just making sure we're using our time for what we're allocating it to. Um, okay, yeah. let, let's focus on two more things that you highlighted. You said that you've been learning a lot about reflecting and finding a takeaway before you just move on to the, to the quote unquote next thing. So can you explain where this came from? This one was really interesting to me. Yeah, I mean, I think it 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 comes from you, from working with you. You're so good at asking people, what was your takeaway? And I'm trained to ask other people that. But then whenever people ask me, I'm like, I don't even, about a year ago, people would ask, what's your takeaway? And I'm like, man, I don't know. And it bothered me that I didn't have an answer. And I'm like, that I don't like the way that that feels. I want to be the type of person that truly does I'm so present and I'm aware of what's going on that I'm, I am aware of what my takeaway is from that. I don't want to just be in the moment. I want to actually like have a valued experience from it. So uh, yeah, creating margin after a call or after anything and doing like what you're saying, you go for a walk. I oftentimes it's cold in Nebraska. So I going outside for five minutes is not always the most relaxing way for me to recenter, (laughs) but I do have, a really cool setup in my office where I I enjoy the environment, but I just pull out my journal and I'll just write down like, what are some takeaways from that? And I, and I do jot it. I am like a a paper and pen type of a person. I enjoy being able to just physically see it. So I have a journal just for principles and takeaways from each of the moments. And Mm -hmm. oftentimes that's where I create like content for social media or LinkedIn where it's like, Oh man, there was such a great lesson in that. And like, that was, ac- that's actually what happened. So. Man, th- there's so much power in that because 
I mean, the, the first thing that comes to mind is that that principle that we refer to a lot is that there's not value in experience. There's value yeah. in evaluated experience, right? Yeah. And so what we're not talking about is not being present. And this is something that I've had to learn is I think I used to be a less present person. And the reason why I was a less present person is because I would spend the entire conversation trying to figure out and define my takeaway. And it's like, if right. I'm doing that throughout the entire conversation, then I'm actually not present anymore That's right. and actually listening to what's being said because I'm overanalyzing what was already said and what I'm going to say afterwards, mm. right? Mm-hmm. And, and so what I've learned is exactly what you're talking about, I think, is just having the stutter step after the conversation is done to say, okay, what's the takeaway from that? And then allow yourself to be thoughtful in that moment. It's not like, okay, what's the takeaway from that? And I got to have an answer right away. I, I think... One of the areas that I'm still challenging myself to grow, I'm certainly not there yet, is to just pause and say, okay, I'm going to think about that and and actually reflect on it. And it feels like that's what your journaling practice is. Yeah. And I mean, we do it in our coaching calls too. And I think when I first work with a client and I ask those questions, I can see it's almost like uh, the paralysis that they experienced the way that I felt about a year ago, which makes me understand and acknowledge that this is a muscle. It's something that can be trained. You can develop in this area. It's like, man, at first, we're just going through the motions and plowing through life. And when you are introduced with the idea of, hey, let's pause. Let's just take a deep breath and think about like, what was the biggest takeaway from that? Or what was Mm -hmm. a principle that you learned there? And how can you learn? How can you pull a principle from that moment so that you can carry it over into everything moving forward. But yeah, it went working with someone from the first month until like six months in, it's like now they're, they're waiting for it. They're ready for it. Or it may not be that they've been preparing it throughout the conversation, like you're saying, but they've developed the skill to be able to stop shift modes, decompress. Now we're going to go into a different mindset and we're going to reflect. Mm, so cool. But gosh, Something comes to mind. This is a story that I, I, gosh, I haven't reflected on this in, I mean, probably five or six years, but you just made me think of it. And, and I, it was one of the places where I learned this as a practice. Uh, I, I know you know this. In college, I was the, the drum major of the University of Texas Longhorn Band. And uh, <laughs> I mean, that was just such a cool experience because that meant that I was the, the primary student leader for the 450 person organization. It's just such a, a world-class tradition-laden organization. Truly, when people ask me like, where did you learn what you know about organizational culture? One of the top probably five places that I learned it from was that organization and getting to play a role in it. It was just incredible. But it meant that I was the conductor of the group of students, 450 students that made up the University of Texas band. And that took place at football games, which Texas football games are just like next level. It was just so much fun, so much energy, so much hype. And I'll never forget, it it was the beginning of the fourth quarter at I think it was the West Virginia game, and it was a close game going into the fourth quarter. And they always have this tradition where they they play this flyover video on the Jumbotron, and it's Walter Cronkite's voice. And he says, get your bachelor's degree, get your master's degree, get your PhD, but whatever you do, get your horns up. And then everyone goes, ah! 
And then, <laughs> and then it's out of that that, that the band would, we'd always go into this song called Wabash Cannonball. And it was this like hyper energetic song. And I would have this tendency as the conductor of the program to get so hyped up and so excited that I would then count off the song and it would be like 40 clicks too fast. Mm. And like, that's not good, right? Like, because it, it becomes sloppy. It's not what it's supposed to be. And like, I mean, they held us uh, from a student leadership perspective, like the directors of that program, they held us to a pretty high standard. And I'll just never forget it. This game, it was like, did it way too fast and we got through the song but i'll just remember looking down and one of the directors just kind of looked up at me and he gave me these eyes like what are you (laughs) doing right now and uh and so we finished the song and i looked down at him and i was just like i'm sorry i know it was too fast i know it was too fast and and uh and then i just looked back up right because i was up on this ladder and like had already moved on and he just like tapped on the ladder again and he said alex look at me uh, his name's Tony Marinello. He said, take a deep breath. He's like, I think sometimes you keep making the same mistake because you never actually absorb the mistake that you made and ever mm. learned anything from it. Mm. And he said, sometimes you're so quick to just say, screw that up, I'm moving on, that you never actually learn the lesson that's embedded from it. And he's like, it's okay, mm. we played it too fast. But what are you going to do differently moving forward or what caused that that you can think about and reflect on to make sure maybe it happens less in the future? Right. And, and man, what an incredible coaching and leadership moment for me, right? To, to, mm-hmm. Because that, I mean, I think about that regularly now as a business leader. It's so easy to just make a mistake and never reflect. And then you end up in this rut where it's like you keep getting knocked down and at some point it's not persistence to keep getting back up. At some point it's stupidity because you could just stop getting knocked down. Yeah, just stop getting knocked down, dude. And so that's what I thought of whenever you you were talking about reflection. Anything else you want to say on that topic before we move on to the final one, which I, I think is a really practical and actionable one? Yeah, I think it ties back in with principle based thinking. I think being able to develop as a principle-based thinker and to tie in time management and reflecting. It's just a beautiful marriage of the three where it's like, don't just reflect on how I feel, which is very important, but also like the the beautiful part of principle-based thinking is point back to what is true. So like, I feel this way. And is that reality? Is that an irrational feeling? Is it, is it true? And what's the principle here? Let me find what is actually true in this moment so that I am more equipped to handle this similar situation moving forward rather than I'm, I come from a long lineage of being a people pleaser. And it's been, I've been a people pleaser to a fault and being able to find the principle and what is true has really guarded me from that and has made me more confident. And no, I, it's not true that I need to please all of these opinions. I need to find what is true, find the principle and be able to move forward and become a stronger, more stable person. Love it. Very good. Okay. Out of that, let's jump into something that often deviates people from how they're using their time that we've kind of already hit on a little bit, but you said you're learning how to have a healthy relationship with social media, LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook. I just feel like I'm going to get out my notepad right now and take some notes. So uh, (laughs) if, if, uh, if you can uh, tell us what you've learned on this, that would be really helpful. Cause I mean, this can be, this can be one of those things that what's wild is 
people know it's not good. They hate the way they're currently using it and they're not doing anything different. And, and I say right. people are doing that. I can be one of those people during specific seasons. Uh, yeah. And so I, I would love for you to just kind of talk about your experience and what you've learned, Kelly. Okay. First of all, I'm not a social media influencer. I'm not someone that has like millions of viewers. So it's not like I'm an expert in this field and I'm prefacing it again. I didn't say I learned, I am learning how to have a healthy relationship with social media. So um, with that said, about um, a year ago, man, I just really had a hard time with social media. And it was, I had a major blocker where I felt like I was almost paralyzed. Like I didn't know how to, I didn't know how to do it. Things were constantly changing. You know, now they're doing reels and they're doing all these things where I'm like, I have kids. I, I don't have time to just be on social media. It's a distraction. Um, I could catch myself feeling like I'm posting things for the wrong reasons. Like I'm trying to prove to people. Like I felt like I was falling into what everyone hates about social media. And I'm like, man, I am so guilty of all of this. Like, you know, taking a picture of my kids when they're perfectly dressed for Easter. And I'm like, that is not reality. <laughs> but, at the, but at the same token, what are you supposed to do? Actually post when, you know, your house is a disaster. And it's like, I just don't really want to do any of this. So I just like bowed out for a while and took a long sabbatical and redefined like, what, why am I on social media? Like, what does it actually do for me, is it healthy? Is it not? Then I watched the social dilemma. And then I was like, I'm never doing it. I'm never getting back on. And then I felt like I was so extreme with it that I started to become judgmental. And so I've gone through these waves of like, I love it because it's creative. I hate it because it's torturing me. And I'm like, man, what would it look like to have a healthy relationship with social media where it's like, I re I really need to define like, what is my purpose? What am I trying to get out of it? What platforms do I want to engage on? Who is my target audience? What's the character that I'm playing in social media? What are the boundaries I need to establish? And then do I actually have the discipline to follow through with that and to check in to check in with that? So that's what I've been going through in the last, I would say, three to four months. That's been my focus. Man, uh, there's so much that's good in that. One of the takeaways that I have from your answer there is just man, how easy can it be to just not even ask the question, what would it look like for me to have a healthy relationship with social media? And yeah. I, I so often don't ask that question. I ask an inferior question, which is, what are my rules? What are my rules mm. for myself? And, and in my experience, what I've found is like rules are good for a short period of time, but as a sustainable thing, what's way better is wisdom. And wisdom isn't going to come from you having these these black and white rules. It's going to be co come from you asking questions like the one you just talked about, which is, what does it look like to have a healthy relationship with social media? And so can you talk to us about like practically, how have you implemented some of your answer to that question? What have you done to create health for yourself and use this as a tool? Yeah. So in the past, I... I was the typical mom that just posted pictures of their kids on Instagram and Facebook so my family in Colorado could see my kids. And then I just decided, like, 
I don't necessarily need everyone to know where my kids are at, what I'm doing, who I'm with. And that started to cause issues with me. So then I redefined Instagram and Facebook as like these platforms can be to share pictures of my kids, but it doesn't necessarily have to be live and in the moment and what's currently happening. Like, I don't need to check in and be like, I am currently on the peak of Mount Beerstadt. Come find me. Like, it's like, no, you don't actually have to post it that day. That way, when I am hiking, I can take a picture, put it away and be present with the people that I'm with. And then on my ideal calendar, I've created time blocks where it's like, these are the times where I'm going to write content or I'm going to edit the pictures and I'm going to post because I, I can actually focus on it and be more um, efficient with my time. And it's not preventing me from being with the people that matter most. Like I used to catch myself being on social media when I was in the car waiting to pick up my kids. And then it's like, then they come in the car and I just wasn't disciplined enough to put my phone away. So it's like, now I'm on social media instead of welcoming my kids into the car after a day of school. It's like, man, what kind of mom do I want to be? Do I want to be the distracted mom that's on Instagram all day long? Like, ugh, that makes me sick. But it doesn't mean that I can't be on Instagram. So it's like, man, figuring out where where does that fit in? So yeah, Instagram and, and Facebook for me are still basically personal life. These are, this is pictures of my kids. It could still be principles that I've learned all that type of stuff, but then LinkedIn clearly is more for a professional presence, but also just, it's a way for me to document some of my reflections from after coaching calls or takeaways that I have from experiences. It's a way for me to put it down on a platform for other people to absorb and learn the things that I've gone through and for me to engage. Like there are some things that I'm truly genuinely interested how other people do it. And it's a great way to get feedback from other people as well. Man, I I think that reflects the word healthy in so many ways. I read something, it was a while back now that was referring to a study that found some, what was probably best described as initial evidence that our grandparents' generation has exponentially greater ability to literally go back to a moment that was powerful and and put themselves back in the moment. So like a sunset where you're sitting on Mm. the porch with your spouse, like the the evidence suggested that they could literally um, psychologically go back to that moment and imagine it and remember what it smelled like and what it felt Mm. like and what what the image was and what the person they were with looked like and all of that. And they said that our grandparents' generation has a greater ability to do that than we do. And the, one of the greatest theories about why that's the case is because when we're in that moment, we're spending a lot of our time thinking about the best angle for the picture and mm-hmm. thinking about what the caption's going to be and thinking about what time we're going to post it at. And mm-hmm. therefore, we got a great picture of the moment, but we were never actually in the moment. In the and moment, yeah. Isn't that sad? Oh, it's, it's devastating. But, but the good thing about it being devastating is, is emotion is what compels new action. Right. Mm. And and so that's one of the things that I consistently have to remember is I don't consistently and sustainably change a behavior, um, especially when there's literally, I mean, corporations that are 
actively working for me not to change this behavior, right? I don't consistently and sustainably change a behavior unless I'm emotionally connected to the reason why it has to change. Mm -hmm. And so, yes, we should reflect on how sad it is, but that sadness and that devastation associated with this should probably compel us to do something different. Right. Oh, goodness. Kelly, uh, (laughs) I think it was our last podcast that we did, which if y'all haven't listened to that one, that's even more on Kelly's story where she goes into uh, all the the mitten business that she had and the coffee (laughs) business that she had and how she worked with a general general contracting company and owned, owned, worked in the construction industry, owned a business there and uh, just such a ball. Like, and you get, you kind of start to understand. It's like, okay, if wisdom comes from evaluated experience, Kelly is someone that has had a, a lot of experience. Like if you look at Kelly's resume, you're like, oh, this woman's probably 80 years old. And it's like, no, <laughs> she's not. Like she's just done a lot, which is awesome. Um, That's funny. Goodness. I, before the last question, I, I just want to let you know, I, I'm sure I've shared this with you before. I'm not sure that I've shared it on the podcast before. Very early on to starting this business, I kind of went through this like uh, – crisis of vision in many ways, where I was asking the question, do I want to be Alex Judd coaching company, where I basically do this at a higher and higher rate for a smaller and smaller number of people, and it stays individually me for the remainder of time. And that was a viable Mm -hmm. option at that time. And then I said, okay, or do we want to build a coaching team? And I had a lot of tension around that idea. And the reason why it was limiting lies, because I had these lies in my head that no one could do this as well as I could. And it was, it was a prideful lie, but it was a lie nonetheless. And, and not only that, there was something that was, I, I think, healthy about it and that I was like, man, if I take one of our customers and allow someone else to engage with them in a one-on-one coaching relationship, like they are now associating that person that they are working with, that coach that they're working with, with me. And do I feel okay about other people advising essentially on my behalf and on behalf of this business? And and I had a lot of fear around that. I'm no longer afraid of it. And the reason why is because it's probably once a week, if not once every two weeks, that I get a message from one of our customers saying, oh my gosh, that call with Kelly, like it was just transformative for me. Or, oh my gosh, here's something different I'm doing with my family because of the way I get to work with Kelly. Or here's something that we introduced into our business or our business has grown by X percent or we just hired three new people and they're all rock stars because Kelly helped us write their success statements. And I've just, I, I get examples all the time and, and I get voice memos from people that literally, I mean, these people are almost in tears just saying like, oh my gosh, our business, my leadership, myself, my family, we've grown so much. And they would say, it's, it's because of the work I've done in collaboration with Kelly. And so in, in so many ways, like you and Olivia and Kyle just joined the team, like y'all are just breaking through that limiting lie. And y'all are just the crux of what makes this mission happen because this mission, if it was only me, would be small. And now it's something that's so much bigger. And so I, I didn't want to close today without just publicly thanking you and affirming you because your growth is overflowing out of you and it's impacting others. So thank you so much. Wow. Thank you so much. I mean, it truly does go back to you clarifying how to win as a coach and not 
having the pride to think that no one can do it like me. And with that said, like you were my coach before I did this and you were, you are a phenomenal coach. So they were huge shoes to fill. And there were times where I'm like, there is no way I'm going to be as good of a coach as Alex. Like, so to be able to develop the business that you have to provide the opportunity for other coaches to be able to do what you did for me is just a cool thing to be a part of. And it's like, it happens so fast. And so many people think like, there's no way that could happen. Like all of those lies, like what you were saying. And it's like, no, it absolutely can, but it takes major commitment and intentionality to say, it's not about me. It's about developing the people so that we can impact more people. And how cool is it? Like, here we are, we're doing it. <laughs> I, I, yeah. I feel like that's my every morning routine is like, how cool is this? Here we are. We're right. doing it. This thing's happening. Oh my gosh. <laughs> um, or it's asking the question, are we actually doing this? Is this actually happening? It's, uh, it's such, a, such a wild ride to be on. Okay. Final question for you. And I'm going to ask you to put on Coach Kelly hat. I mean, so often, uh, like I've had this happen in my life and, and so have our customers and so have our podcast listeners, like what we need is challenging encouragement. And, and so what I want to ask you uh, just out of uh, today's conversation, what is the one thing that you would just challenge people on? If you got to sit down and have a cup of coffee with them and they're a leader of a business what is the one thing that if you got one message across to them, you would want to encourage them in a challenging way on to move forward and grow? Hmm. I think from working with the clients that I've worked with in the last year, the thing that I've seen make the biggest impact is truly clearly defining a vision. So many people don't have the courage to think about something that doesn't currently exist. They just keep doing what they've always done and they hit roadblock after roadblock and they get frustrated and they feel like their wheels are spinning and they're spiraling. And it always falls back to, do you know where you're going? Like, do you have a vision for where you're going? And then out of that, you're able to filter all of the opportunities, all of the challenges, all of the bright, shiny objects that come your way or the distractions. And it's like, without having that vision, I mean, it goes back to the, to the Bible. It's like, without vision, people perish. And you see it time and time again, like you can have all of the things in place. You can have the org chart, the success statements, you can have the core values, you can have the mission statement, you can have all of these things. But if you haven't defined where you're going, it just, it's like you're never totally content and it feels like you're always wanting more. But then it's like the minute people spend the time and it's not a quick task. It Oftentimes it takes a full day of totally no distractions and spending time focusing on where you're going personally and also your business. But it's like out of that, people come back the neck to the next call with just like a completely different outlook on everything. It's like, now I know where I'm going. And now it all makes sense. And it's like the amount of relief that they experience with the amount of clarity that they have just is a huge game changer. So my challenge would be spend the time to focus and to create a plan for where you're going. 
Well, Kelly, uh, this was such a delight today. I'm thankful that we get to work with you uh, in service of the customers that we have that we just absolutely love. So thank you so much. Absolutely. This has been amazing. Love it. I know that Lily's going to be listening to this. And I know <laughs> I, I sent all of my kids will listen to it. Lily's one of my one of my kiddos and I have to wrap this up and I'm not going to steal it. I'm going to let you do it. I'm going to tee you up so you can do it. At my last half marathon, there was a box with all these goodies and on the box, it said, let's go on it. And she looked at it and opened it and she goes, let's go, let's go, let's go. <laughs> like, that's so awesome. But that's like, she, that's the cue for her. She's like, we're wrapping up the podcast, mom. <laughs> One of our core values at Path for Growth is alignment. And what we mean by that is that the message we give aligns with the way that we live. Simply put, we want everyone on our team to live what we talk about at Path for Growth. And I just think that Kelly is such an incredible example of someone who is truly practicing healthy growth. And hey, it's worth mentioning that uh, we provide one-on-one coaching for impact-driven leaders. And Kelly is one of those one-on-one coaches. So if you are someone that owns a business or runs a business and you are looking for perspective and accountability and direction on how to practice healthy growth within your business, well, we'd love to talk to you. So if you're interested in working with a Path for Growth one-on-one coach, you can click the link that's in the show notes of this episode. One more thing before we go, we send out written content in an email every single week called Worth It Wednesday. Simply put, I think most email isn't worth it, so we try to send just one that is. So every single week, if you sign up, you're going to get a principle worth learning, a question worth answering, and a recommendation worth taking. You can sign up at pathforgrowth.com or just by clicking the link that's in the show notes. Y'all know this. We're rooting for you. We want to see you win. Remember, my strength is not for me. Your strength is not for you. Our strength is for service. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go.